Welcome into the Lockdown Knicks podcast. On today's show, I'm going to tell you what it will take for the New York Knicks to make the Eastern Conference Finals next season. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, and I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And I wanted to remind you to be an everydayer on Locked On Knicks if you want to achieve that. All you have to do is subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube and hit that notification bell so you never, ever miss an episode. So we are continuing um, to answer your mailbag questions. This one comes from our mailbag MVP, Jordan Bub at Bub Jordan on Twitter. And he wants to know, for the Knicks to reach the Eastern Conference Finals next season, the Knicks would have to dot, dot, dot. So let's do this by breaking down the Knicks competition. First up has to be the Miami Heat. Uh, they could potentially lose quite a bit off of this season. Seeing Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Kevin Love, all free agents. I expect Kevin Love to be back. I, to just a slightly lesser extent, expect Max Struess to be back. Gabe Vincent, I think, is the big question mark. I could see a small market team such as a Charlotte and Oklahoma City, a San Antonio, offering that guy pretty substantial money. Maybe a contract somewhere in the range of four years, I don't know, like $65 million. He's proven to be a big-time playoff performer. And while if you're one of those teams you want to be cautious of, uh, uh, this is a name that uh, longtime Knicks fans are going to cringe at, you want to be cautious of a Jerome James situation where a guy uh, has a disproportionate performance in the postseason, contract coming up, never to replicate it again. But I don't know. I think that dude is tough. He makes really big shots. We watch him in Game 7 just calmly stepping into 26, 27-footers. Never seemed to miss against the Knicks. Uh, play tough um, if borderline illegal defense on Jalen Brunson. He's really, really good. I could see another team snatching him away. I think that would weaken Miami. As far as Miami's core goes, um, I wouldn't expect Jimmy Butler at age 34 to be better next season. Granted, the apex version of Jimmy Butler we saw this year is, is maybe the second best player in the NBA. So if he's anything close to that, Miami will still be an incredible threat come playoff time. That being said, the Knicks... Um, with a lot going against him, Julius Randle, um, for whatever you want to say about his effort, his shooting, clearly was uh, significantly banged up. Emmanuel quickly was terrible and they didn't play the final game, three games of the series. Quentin Grimes, R.J. Barrett uh, still could make strides, could be better players next year. I still think the Knicks are the deeper team. I still think the Knicks could be the better team. Um, if Tom Thibodeau is the coach, that, that's going to be a problem. He's Eric Spolstra, like he does to most coaches in the NBA, is probably going to coach circles around him. Uh, but honestly, I think the Knicks could potentially have the talent to overcome it. Uh, as far as the Boston Celtics go, uh, the Jalen Brown situation is obviously one to watch. Um, specifically, if he could be on the Knicks next year, I think that is an extreme long shot. But even if he's just not on the Celtics, um, I really don't see a world where they don't take a step back next season. Sorry for the double negative. Um, if he's not on the team a season from now. Um, but I still think there's a decent chance they end up signing him to an extension. And even in a world where they don't sign him to an extension, there's a there's a scenario where he plays out the season there. Um, so for now, I would slot Boston ahead of the Knicks, but that is a a pretty significant question mark because they lose Jalen Brown, 
I don't know, they potentially lose like a couple of their role guys just to financial issues. Um, and they try to rejigger their team. There's a world where they're not quite as good as they were this year. And like a lot of people, um, I wouldn't have given the Knicks a great chance in that series, but I think it's winnable. And particularly next year's version of the Knicks, which again, you just look at a world where they make no moves and run it back. There's no reason the Knicks shouldn't be a better team a year from now and maybe a substantially better team with all their guys kind of in the right age range to make a leap heading into next year. As far as Philly, um, who knows? But I think James Harden is gone. Nick Nurse um, is an upgrade over Doc Rivers. I think I question how much that matters because I just don't see their roster as being all that good, frankly, around Joel Embiid. Like, where, where's the depth there? Tyrese Maxey is exceptional. Is he ready to be the second best guy on a championship or even Eastern Conference Finals caliber team? Possibly. That's another thing that I wouldn't necessarily bet on. And then who's the number three guy if James Harden leaves? Sure, that leaves a salary slot for them to fill, but we've seen Tobias Harris try and fail year after year after year in Philly to step up and be that type of player. De'Anthony Melton is excellent. He, he's, he's a sixth man. Um, I don't really see Philly making a big jump. And again, there's a world where Joel Embiid ass out, uh, obviously wherever he ends up. That could shape a new Eastern Conference contender, um, specifically if it's the Knicks. But for now, if Philly mostly runs it back, um, again, I could very well see New York surpassing them. Um, as far as Cleveland, uh, we're, we're, we just punked them, right? So the one guy who could swing that, I think, is Evan Mobley. And if he continues to develop as a three-point shooter, that would dramatically change the geometry of the floor and how the Knicks have to cover the Cavs. And honestly, might be enough to swing that series. But that being said, if... He, I mean, we're talking about a guy who maybe made one three that entire series is still only going to be, I think, 21 years old next season. It would take a really dramatic leap. And as long as Mobley and Allen are the Cavs front court heading into next year and the Knicks retain Mitchell Robinson and Josh Hart, I don't really see a world where Cleveland is going to be able to match the Knicks physicality and the rebounding issues that the Knicks present for the Cavs are, are just still going to be there because Mitchell Robinson is still going to be a bigger human being, a healthy Julius Randle. Um, I, I think possibly still going to be able to bulldoze Evan Mobley to some extent a year from now. Mitchell Robinson with those two bigs, still going to be able to stay stationed around the rim and going to provide big-time issues for both Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. I, I just think that is a fantastic matchup for the New York Knicks. So what do the Knicks have to do on their end um, to reach the Eastern Conference Finals? Honestly, not a whole lot. I think it's just about internal development, and I will tell you about that in just a second. Um, but before we get into that on Locked on Knicks, um, I need to tell you about one of our favorites here on the Locked on Knicks podcast, and that is, of course, FanDuel Sportsbook. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500 that's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. I am putting big money down on the NBA Finals. Um, and if last night was an indicator to you guys, I think the Denver Nuggets are about to roll in this series. I had Nuggets in five coming in. I am sticking with it. Whatever the line is, I think I would bet Nuggets game in and game out. Look, I like who, who should be down in the heat at this point? Maybe no reasonable man. I'm not reasonable. I think Nikola Jokic is too much of a mismatch. Jamal Murray and that entire team is rolling. They have the eye of the tiger. They're going to win it. There's no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. 
All you have to do is visit Fanduel.com slash locked on. Get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. It's Fanduel.com slash locked on. Fanduel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, let's get into it. What do the New York Knicks, from their perspective, have to do to reach the Eastern Conference Finals? I don't think they have to do much. Because this was a team, as I laid out earlier in the podcast, that was a game away. Or, sorry, a game and two minutes away from making the Eastern Conference Finals. That was it. It took an upset, sure. Um, And I didn't really mention the Milwaukee Bucks. They're going to be back next year. But theoretically, down to Brook Lopez, maybe down to Chris Middleton. Not a lot of flexibility to add guys around Giannis and Drew Holiday. Should they be favored over the Knicks? Yeah, probably a third team that should slide in there. But I think the Knicks can surpass a lot of these teams with substantial internal development. If I'm looking at the two biggest swing factors, I would kind of point to RJ Barrett and Quentin Grimes. I think if RJ can maintain and consistently produce as he did in the playoffs, that means operating at times as a pass first guy. That means taking advantage of the attention paid to Jalen Brunson and getting to the rim against mismatches and finishing once he's there. That means turning from a piss poor three-point shooter into just a decent one. Doesn't have to be the 40% guy he was two seasons ago. Just has to shoot 35, 36% on decent volume. And most importantly, do so with the respect of opposing defenses and not just taking wide open shots like an Isaac Okoro where it doesn't actually translate to the playoffs. Um, I think you're looking for the Knicks to insulate their offense in the playoffs because a lot of people forgot this was a team that produced not only the third best regular season offense in the NBA, but one of the five best offenses in NBA history. The reason it worked in the regular season, the Knicks gobbled up offensive rebounds like your fat uncle on Thanksgiving, gobbling some turkeys. They didn't commit a lot of turnovers and they had a pretty efficient shot profile, even though they weren't all that good at hitting those shots. That didn't translate that well to the playoffs against, granted, two of the best defenses in the NBA in Miami and Cleveland. I think it could translate better next year um, with a better version of Quentin Grimes, with Emmanuel Quickly and Julius Randle playing to their regular season forms a bit. And I think we could get a better, like like maybe it's the definition of insanity to run it back with Julius Randle, but I think there's reasons to believe it could be better a year from now. He had a severely sprained ankle. He had to go up against two of the best big men defenders in the NBA, in Evan Mobley and Bam Adebayo. We could get regular season Julius. Maybe not quite regular season Julius, but I think there's always going to be a slight shooting downturn with him in the playoffs. But that's okay, because that happens to every player in the NBA, essentially every year. Not named Nikola Jokic, maybe not named Jamal Murray. But it happened It happened to um, Jalen Brunson in this year's playoffs. Like He was incredible in the postseason. He wasn't as efficient as he was in the regular season. That's okay. So I think we could get that from Julius Randle. Same thing with Emmanuel quickly. Like I think, I think this was his first postseason being a guy that the Knicks were going to substantially rely upon. We saw Darius Garland, a much more highly regarded point guard, have similar issues for the Cavs. Um, in what was ultimately his first postseason. I think that Emmanuel quickly could turn it around next year. And again, this is all with the caveat that the Knicks just sort of run it back next year, right? Like there, there's still a world 
where they make an all in move. They get a Joel Embiid. They get a Paul George. They get a Jalen Brown. Um, I, I think it's going to be a year or two before the Knicks actually do that. I think this might be a season too early for them to go all in. But you know what? It just it ultimately comes down to the price. And if the price is right, the Knicks will go all in. And that'll make things easier because the Knicks were brought down into the mud against the Miami Heat. And they did okay there. But at points, they really faltered. And if we're going to look at the flip side and be less optimistic about the Knicks, there's a world where Jimmy Butler doesn't miss a game two and the Knicks just losing five against Miami Heat. Or they have to face a different first-round opponent than the Cleveland Cavaliers, like they have to face the Milwaukee Bucks. And Giannis is just the best player on the court, and they lose in four or five games. So there is an argument to be made that the Knicks need to insulate themselves a bit with superstar talent. They have one in Jalen Brunson, and I think maybe that is the most underrated, under-discussed factor here, is that Jalen Brunson is that guy, right? He's, he performed like a clear-cut top 15 player in the NBA. And there are people outside of New York that would push back against that argument. Like I saw Fred Katz had an athletic article where, where Seth Partnow, who's, who's a guy I, I really respect as a writer, um, scoffed a little bit at the idea that Jalen Brunson is all of a sudden in that second tier of NBA superstar talent with a Devin Booker, with an Anthony Davis, with a Jimmy Butler. And yeah, maybe he's a notch below those guys, but let's look at who we're comparing him to during the regular season. His contemporaries, Shea Gildas-Alexander. Aaron Fox. And to be fair, Fox suffered an injury during the postseason, but Brunson's game ultimately translated better to playoff basketball than those other two guys. And I think it's repeatable because the playoffs are all ex about exposing your flaws offensively. Um, Shea Gildas Alexander, maybe his flaw is just not having teammates that were quite ready for the limelight, but still a little bit iffy as a self-created three-point shooter. Same deal with De'Aaron Fox. For Jalen Brunson, outside of his lack of size, there isn't a flaw offensively. He has a counter to everything. The two of the best defenses in basketball threw his way, and he showed it over and over again and actually got better when the stakes were highest. Like we all saw game six against Miami going up against two, three, four guys. He found a way over and over and over again to get to a spot and hit his shots. Uh, being a mid-range assassin is frowned upon during regular season basketball. It is a golden ticket under the crucible of the postseason. And Jalen Brunson, he's going to own that golden ticket as long as his career goes. If the Knicks decide to run things back, to me, one of the biggest questions outside of Tibbs' coaching, outside of Julius Randle, is how do things work out for Josh Hart? Because we saw, we saw him be the difference maker against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then, honestly, part of the reason the Knicks lost against the Miami Heat, his inability, his unwillingness, to fire away from three-point range. That is going to have to shift next season. Again, even if he can only hit 30% of them, he has to take those shots. And he has to make just enough that defenses at least give him token coverage down the stretch of games. Because if not, I think the Knicks are not going to be able to play him. Um, and I think having a healthy Emmanuel quickly back as his running mate, that unit that really transformed the Knicks in the regular season could substantially alter what the Knicks do in the postseason. Um, so now the second part of this question that we'll get into a little bit here in a little bit in our next segment. Um, what does Miami's run say about the New York Knicks? That question asked by our guy, um, Aaron uh, Candelera. Um, he wanted to know specifically after seeing the Heat go up 3-0 against the Celtics, this question was asked them about a week and a half ago. Have you feeling about the Knicks changed or remain the same? Um, I think overall 
pretty similar, maybe just confirm them. And I, I think I did a pretty good job laying out what those feelings were last segment and into this segment. Like, I think the Knicks were a true blue contender, not to win an NBA title, but to reach the Eastern Conference Finals. And, you know, the playoffs are all about luck and having everything go right. And honestly, I think what's amazing about the Knicks run is they got within, again, a game and a minute of the Eastern Conference Finals, despite not having a whole lot of luck. Like when, you, when two of your three best players go down with sprained ankles and, and your best player is fighting through one, like that is an unlucky stretch. And, and look, Boston was more talented than the Knicks. But as we saw in, in that series, they were kind of fallible to the same thing the Knicks were against the Miami Heat, right? They were a little bit too monocentric, as the Knicks were with Jalen Brunson. The Celtics were with Jason Tatum. And at times, their offense devolved into four guys standing around and watching Jason Tatum do his thing. Very similar to the Knicks. And, and in some ways, the Celtics, it wasn't even that they were reliable on one star. They were too over-reliant on one facet of their game. And that was three-point shooting. And when that wasn't there, when that wasn't clicking, they basically had no answer to what Miami was doing defensively um, throughout that series. And then Boston just made mistakes, and Miami didn't. And we saw it from Miami over and over and over again. And again, I think that just confirms what I thought about the Knicks. Where from a talent perspective, they might have even out exceeded the Miami Heat, but they weren't there from a discipline perspective. They weren't there from a coaching perspective relative to Miami. Does that change a year from now? Again, open question, but it does kind of confirm the feelings I had about the Knicks already. Um, and I think the biggest thing is that some of the next role guys were legitimized, like Quentin Grimes, like what he did defensively against Jimmy Butler. I know he didn't shoot it that well, but he got respected as a shooter and that opened up everything for the Knicks offense. And he was exceptional guarding Butler on the other end of the floor. And there was a reason the Knicks were way, way better when Quentin Grimes was on the floor. There was a reason, despite Emmanuel quickly not being able to hit a shot to save his life, they were way, way better when he was on the court because his defense absolutely translated. Jalen Brunson, we already noted. I don't have to talk about it again. He absolutely translated. RJ Barrett flashed his pedigree for everyone to see. He whipped it out. And there was an underlying aura with RJ Barrett for his entire career of just you wait. When the postseason comes, that's when I'm going to show what I am really about. And he did it in spades against the Miami Heat. He was exceptional. Until that game six. If he could be a little bit more consistent, again, that could that could change what the Knicks are down the road. All right, we got one more question to get to in just a sec. I'm locked on Knicks. All right, this final question comes from Paul. I don't 100% know how to pronounce your last name, Paul, but when we take my best swing at it, Paul uh, Mayer. Um, it's spelled M-E-I-J-E-R, but it is Dutch. And he said, what do you guys think Sims' upside is? Jericho Sims' upside is. And is he worth developing as a future replacement of Mitchell Robinson, meaning not getting Embiid and maybe a wing player who can shoot? Uh, thanks from a diehard Knicks fan since 1988 from Holland, living in Brazil. Uh, first of all, shout out to you, Paul. Um, I always say it, but I get uh, such a kick uh, whenever we get a message uh, from anyone overseas. It, it, it really it gives me chills uh, to think people are listening all across the world. Uh, so shout out to you, Paul. Uh, shout out to everyone listening uh, overseas and, of course, domestically. Um, I don't think Jericho Sims will ever be a replacement for Mitchell Robinson. Um, the difference is, is just in their anatomy. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, seven foot one in shoes. 
Jericho Sims uh, scraping six foot ten with that afro. Um, and because of that, he's just never going to be the same rim protector that Mitchell Robinson is. Part of it is, while Jericho Sims is a spectacular leaper, Mitchell Robinson at that height is exceptionally quick off his feet. Jericho Sims is more of a two-foot, uh, like, bend over or bend down, like, loaded up kind of guy. Um, so he's not the same rim protector. He's not even really the same rebounder, um, though he's gotten a lot better than that in his second season that Mitchell Robinson is. Um so when I say, like, what do I see as the future for Jericho Sims? I think in a world where the Knicks move off of Mitchell Robinson to start trade, and for whatever reason, it's not for another center, you're grooming Jericho Sims to be the eventual backup for Isaiah Hartenstein, or in a world where you get Joel Embiid, and for some reason you you move off of Mitchell Robinson, you don't want to pay Isaiah Hartenstein what he's worth a year from now, which I think is going to be a lot of money, because Isaiah Hartenstein, again, a reminder, just 24 years old, I, I think going to be an even better player next season. I honestly think of that Heat series, uh, Isaiah Hartenstein was the Knicks' best center. Um, so I think there's a world where Sims maybe eventually is his backup. Um, I think he has to work on his, um, kind of in between game, a little bit similar to Isaiah Hardenstein, getting down floaters, um, spraying passes out on the pick and roll. We, we saw him make strides in that. Certainly not where Isaiah Hardenstein is as a passer. I think he has good instincts for it. Granted, he's the exact same age. In fact, all three of those guys are the exact same age. So when we talk about him being groomed, um, I still question like how much of a ceiling there is there. Is that sort of the reason Jericho Sims fell to 58th in the draft? If he was a true freshman with his skill set, I think he would have been a surefire first round pick. Uh, but if he can continue to develop his passing, can continue to develop his in-between game, he get a little bit more aggressive throwing his body around um, defensively as both a rim protector and a rebounder reacting a little bit quicker to drivers. I think he can be a useful backup center in this league. I don't think he's ultimately anything more than that. All right, guys, that'll wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in as already. As always, excuse me, we'll be back with much, much more next week. Continuing to our mailbag, maybe a couple special guests uh, that next week on Locked On Knicks.